If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians is where we're gonna be this morning. You can also go to cc.guide on your phone, click on talk notes if you wanna follow along there. Uh, we are gonna be in a series for a while that we're launching this morning called, called Becoming Family. What does it mean to be the family of God? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? This gathered group, this alternate community in the world that's supposed to look different and act different and be, uh, resemble Jesus in the world around us. And I've realized there's two types of people in the world, just two, I've narrowed it down. Um, people who slowly pull a Band-Aid off because they love torturing themselves. Any of you guys, you're like, yep, you do it slow. And then people who just rip the Band-Aid off. My kids like to, to take it slowly, and if I see them doing it, I just go up and I rip it off, right? Stop torturing yourself, just get it over with. This morning, I'm, I'm gonna rip the Band-Aid off so we can go farther a little bit faster. Is that okay? I'm gonna rip the Band-Aid off because I think it's important that we get past the surface, that we're honest with ourselves, we're self-aware enough to know even in the church with all of the great things that God's doing, not just our church, but the church, that um, I, I hear that the first part of really gaining victory in your life is admitting you have a problem, right? So we're gonna admit we have a problem. We're gonna admit some of the things that we struggle with, that we want church to feel like family, but for so many people it doesn't, and it never does. And they struggle with the church, and they've been hurt by the church, and, and, and sometimes we kind of stand on the outside looking in, and we're, gonna, we're just going to dive headfirst into some of these things. And why do we struggle? There's so many reasons, but let me give you a few this morning. Some of these we're going to address in other sermons down the road. Number one, we're looking for the perfect fit, or easy community, or people who are just like us. So we enter into the church with just the wrong expectations to start, that this should just happen naturally, right? If it's the right fit, then relationships should be easy. How many know relationships are never easy? Especially if they go anywhere. If there's depth to them, they're not gonna be easy. It's not gonna happen naturally. Let me tell you, it's gonna require more effort and more work and more intentionality than you ever thought that you were gonna have to give. Number two, we come into the church with a consumer mindset. How many know consumers will never be satisfied because it's never enough? You always need more. And I'm, again, I'm gonna rip the Band-Aid off this morning and I'm just gonna tell you, after 17, 18 years of pastoring, I know I look young, but I've been doing this for a while, here's what I've learned. People come into the body of Christ with their checklist. There are people who walked into this place the last few weeks with an actual checklist. And they're checking off, do you have this department? Do you do this, do you do this? And there's like 12, 13, 14, 15 things and I'm thinking to myself, you're never gonna find that church. You better start it, <laughs> you know? Like, you better go start a church because there's, there's, there's never a church that just checks all the boxes. You, are in first and foremost, are called to contribute because it's not just about you, right? It's not just what you get, but what you give to the body of Christ. Let's talk about a few more of these. We bring our American individualism into something that's designed to be communal. We are ruggedly Americans and we have our individualism and it's about me and we live in an increasingly narcissistic society where we are at the center of everything and yet we're called to a body of Christ where it's communal. We lay down our preferences, we lay down our opinions. Come on, ain't nobody wanna do that for each other. It's a different way of interacting. Next is this, we don't see the church as a covenant community as much as a convenient community. We'll get back to that one, just setting us up. Next one is this, we've been hurt and we struggle to trust people. This is a reality. We're gonna talk about church hurt. What happens when people who claim to be followers of Jesus or leaders didn't reflect Jesus? What happens when you get hurt, when you're called to trust again, when you're called to lean back in after you've walked through difficulties? The next one is this, we've been paralyzed by the number of options we have in the church. We live, most of you, in Tulsa, Jerusalem. How many know there's a couple churches in this city? 
It's beautiful. It's great. You know what it also creates? This tendency that if I don't like it here or if I ever have conflict, I have somewhere else that's really easy to go. Woo, I know. I love the body of Christ. I wanna see the church in Tulsa grow. Today, I'm taking six pastors with me. I've planned a fly fishing trip. I love to fly fish and I really need to get away, guys. And so I'm taking six pastors to Arkansas for the next two days. Most of them don't even know how to fly fish. We're gonna teach them how to fly fish and, and just be the body of Christ and help each other post Easter get over like all of our feelings, right? It's therapy. Therapy is really what it is. I want the church of, of Christ to, in, in our city to grow. I want pastors to flourish but I know from other pastors and I know my friends who are pastors and I realize it's really easy just to be half-heartedly committed somewhere and keeping one foot in the door and one foot out in case something comes up. We've normalized dysfunctional behavior. The last one is this. We don't anticipate or feel prepared to deal with the inevitable conflict of community. We've not taught people well how to deal with Conflict, how many know conflict in relationships is inevitable? The honeymoon will end and you will have to figure out, can I work through conflict just like you do in a marriage, you will in a church. Some people walk into city church are like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm like, just wait till we disappoint you. Because we will, right? Because that's relationships. And what happens is people just uproot themselves and they plant themselves over here and then we uproot ourselves and we just go and we wonder like, man, I've just never experienced depth. Well, there's a reason because you can't make it through the conflict to the depth on the other side of it. I feel better. You guys feel better? Rip that Band-Aid off. You know what I think was liberating for the early church? I've actually, I think about this all the time. Here's like random thoughts with Pastor Matt this morning. I think about this all the time. What it was like for the early church. How many know they had nowhere else to go? There was no second Baptist of Ephesus. There was no relevant life synergy church, the newest church plant in Ephesus down the street. They're all like the same names. You couldn't do that. So, so guess what you had to do? You had to figure it out. We know, for example, Ephesus was pretty hostile to the gospel. Acts tells us that they, there was a riot. There was a mob against Paul. And so you can imagine you're walking into this house church full of current and maybe former prostitutes, merchants, traders, some slaves, some different people all gathered in a living room. And let me tell you, they probably looked at each other and like, we have nothing in common. In fact, I don't even speak your language. But guess what? I need you. Because if we're gonna follow Jesus, we can't walk into the world alone. Ephesus is hostile. I need you, you need me. We have to figure it out. How many know that would liberate some people? It would. I can't just, I, can't, I, I just can't move on because there's nowhere else to go. We have to figure this out. Let me tell you a secret that most of you know, but we don't ever say out loud, and pastors don't talk about this out loud, but we just need to, we need to say it. We're ripping off the Band-Aid this morning. Here is the truth. Being called to a church is a real thing. You should resonate with the church that you're in. You should feel aligned with the vision and mission of your church. God does call people to transition from one church to the next. Here's also a truth that we need to say out loud. God doesn't call people to transition churches nearly as much as it happens. Can we just say it? Oh, but God's called me to transition. So you mean it has nothing to do with the conflict that you're in with that couple and the conversation you don't wanna have that's really hard to have and so you left and played the God card in order to transition? Right? This happens all the time. If you're transitioning churches, if you have in the past, this is not to make you feel guilty. This is just the reality of the situation we're in. It's easy to do that. It's easy to say that. 
How do you experience family covenant if you're not fully committed to something? You, you can't experience covenant and depth if there's not commitment, right? Imagine me looking at my wife on our wedding day. Hey, babe, I wanna enter into this covenant with you, um, but I wanna keep my options open. And you'd be like, that's a lo- that's called a loser. Yeah, you're right. In a marriage, we'd be like, never, but in a church, it's normalized because we don't see this as covenant. This is a convenient community, and as long as it's convenient, I'll go, but if it stops being convenient, if it becomes difficult, then that's enough, that's, I didn't sign up for that, right? Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching here this morning. This is what you get post-Easter. This is like the real stuff, come on now. Here's the hard reality if you're taking notes. We live in a time in a church culture that has normalized dysfunctional behavior in regard to commitment to the body of Christ. We just don't talk about it. Yeah, just go ahead and do it. Jump around forever, and, and here's what's happening. Instead of becoming disciples and making disciples, we spend most of our times trying to find the perfect fit. If we spend as much time trying to find the perfect church, if we spent more time actually living on mission to make disciples, how many know the church would change the, the world? But instead, we found all of our time is like, man, is this the right fit? Is this the perfect fit? Does this meet my needs? We keep it inward instead of being a transformed community pointed outwards, loving our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. Something has to change. This whole series, we're gonna lean into what it means to be family. We're gonna address lies, deceptions, things that sabotage our unity. In two weeks from now, I'm gonna preach on the, 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 the poor and the, the rich and the strong in Romans 14 to 15 and talking about how do we lay down our preferences for the body of Christ? How many know everybody has uh, opinions, right? Opinions aren't a bad thing until you put your opinion above the gospel or unity of the body of Christ, which is so common nowadays. No, I'm opinionated, I'm passionate, therefore I can elevate my opinions to a place where it actually divides the body of Christ. Paul in the book of Romans would say, you are not acting in love. That's called idolatry and you need to repent. This morning I wanna talk about this. I wanna talk about coming to the table. I wanna talk about what it means to come to the table, why we do this every week. Why we come and recenter our hot lives around the gospel, the work of Jesus. Why we come to this table and we take the body and we take the blood of Jesus. What does it mean? I didn't grow up in a church where we did this every week. About seven or eight years ago, we made a transition at City Church and we began to do this weekly and there were some people that came from a traditional background and they were like, hey, this is great. I always grew up doing this and there were people that came from more of an evangelical Protestant background and they're like, pastor's crazy. We're supposed to do this once a quarter, like four times a year, not every week. Like if you do it every week, it loses its significance. It gets old. Nobody wants to do this every week. And we begin to lead our church into the Why? And let me tell you, more than anything else, the reason we do communion every week is because you can come and hear a great message, and I, I hope that you hear a great message from all the teachers that we have at City Church, that you, you're engaged in worship, that somebody greets you with a friendly smile, that you have a good experience, that the coffee's good, all those things, but more than anything, I want you to confront Jesus Christ when you come to City Church. Because Jesus transforms us, right? Right? Sometimes I don't think we need another great message. We just need to do what we've done with the messages that we've heard and to walk in obedience. And every week we come to the table because it's Jesus that transforms and saves and, and, and just totally moves us into the direction that he's called us to. That's why we do it. City Church has always been a place um, because I'm kind of this way. We, we just never have really fit in a box be like, what kind of church you are? Are you a denominational church? And I say, well, we're a non-denominational church. Well, well, what does that mean? Are you this, are you that, or that? Here's my perspective on the matter. Those things matter. What you believe matters. 
But I've always looked around at all these streams of Christianity, all these denominations, and I've always thought to myself, why can't I take the best of who they are? And why can't I take the best of who they are? I may not agree with everything a denomination believes, but how many know I don't agree with anybody on everything? And I can still take the good from them, right? I can still see the beauty in them. And so we would look at the, the, the Pentecostal charismatic church. How many know that we need the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church today? Cody was just talking about a word of prophecy spoken at the right time. How many know no message can do that? You need a word. Supernatural healing. We need that in the body of Christ. I grew up in that church, and let me tell you, we will not let go of the power of God at work among his people. That happens in the ordinary. It doesn't have to be weird, right? You don't need banners flying around like in the church that I grew up in. That God can operate just normalized the gifts of the Spirit among us. How many know I, I, I'm secretly, if you didn't know this, your pastor's kind of a closet Anglican. I love the Anglican church. I love the historical rootedness that we needed creeds and we need sacraments. And, and the history of the church is not a bad thing. That's why we, we do things every week. We have rituals. That's why the, the, the sacraments that root you in something. Years ago, the church stopped doing that. And we need to return. Why, you know why we have creeds? Because the church lost their way. They stopped believing what was orthodox and right, and so they began to recite the creeds to remind them to root them in something. We need that today. We don't need to be just all off on our own with no accountability, rooted in the historical church. You know what I love? I love my Baptist friends. Any Baptist people in the room? Come on, Church of Christ. I got my master's degree at a Church of Christ school. I didn't know any Church of Christ people. Now I know tons of Church of Christ people. I I literally did my whole master's of theology with a group of Church of Christ pastors. Come on. They sing beautifully, a cappella. They don't need instruments. I never really understood why that, but I I respected their decision and how they got to that. You know what I love about my Baptist and Church of Christ friends? Their commitment to the word of God. The word of God is central. They stand on it, it's it's authoritative, it's it's a source of truth. You know what I, I love about my Catholic friends? I know this is getting awkward for some of you. I love the symbolism, I love the art. I love some of the things that the Reformation in the 15th, 16th century left behind because it was too Catholic that we need to restore. It's beauty. It's beautiful. I begin to read spiritual formation writers, and then all of a sudden I remember, these guys are all Catholic. Maybe I'm Catholic. I don't know. I just like reading them all. I love like, their depth of insight into spiritual formation. And I could go on about my Methodist and Lutheran and Presbyterian friends. But I think taking this and, and putting it together and saying, man, we, could, we can take the best of all of these streams of Christianity and we're not perfect and City Church is not perfect, but being this representation of what we think the body of Christ should look like every week as we gather around the table. In Corinthians, we have a church that is struggling. There is division everywhere. Early in Corinthians, it's about who, who, which leader am I gonna follow? Am I gonna follow Apollos? Am I gonna follow, follow Paul? How many know we get in the same thing today where we stop following Jesus and we start following leaders, right? If you're coming to City Church because of me or because of another person, right, that's not the reason. You come because of your commitment to Christ and your commitment to love and serve the body of Christ. We don't follow necessarily people and you have this in Corinthians. Then later on in Corinthians, guess what? They're arguing again, but this time about spiritual gifts. Which spiritual gift is better? Man, I don't want to hold open the door. I don't want to make coffee. I want to speak in tongues. I want to be the word, I want to be a teacher. I want to have words of prophecy, all of these things. So spiritual gifts that were given to the church to unite the church are now ripping the church in Corinth apart. 
The very thing that's supposed to bring us together was ripping them apart. And then if it's not enough for that, they're divided over communion, the Lord's Supper. So that's the context of where I want to pick up this morning in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 17 says this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. This is Paul talking to the church. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show you which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. In the Greek, this term is literally love feast. It was that they would have a dinner. They weren't just coming to the table like we were. They were having a meal together. But in early Roman culture, these houses, and especially the high-income homes, were set up to divide the social classes. And so the, the upper class, so the homeowners, would be in the dining room, and they would lounge, and they would eat lavish food, and they would drink the best wine. And then there was usually an atrium or a courtyard where uh, maybe the slaves or uh, other day laborers would eat and hang out, and the food obviously wasn't nearly as good, and the wine was whatever was left over. So imagine with me, you have these individuals coming to Christ and the church is being formed. And so where did the church meet? It would meet in these homes of these wealthy individuals. And so they're walking in to these church homes and in the afternoon, the wealthier people who usually didn't have to work would already be there. They would be dining in the dining room and eating the lavish food and they would be drinking the best wine. But some of them started drinking at two or three, but the event didn't start till seven. Someone, you know where I'm at? They didn't wait on the other people to get there. The lower income, the working class people who had to work during the day, they come in at night for this unity supper, this love feast, but they find out the food's already been eaten. There's a little bit left, but not much. These people have been drinking since two or three o'clock. They're blitzed out of their mind. We haven't even started church yet, right? And so they're, they're, they're obviously ticked off. The poor are shamed. We're not a part of this. We're not valued here. What's Paul saying? He's addressing this very thing. He's like, you're not acting in unity. You're not acting in love. You're not waiting for your brothers and sisters that aren't like you. You are just out for whatever you want. You're there to indulge yourself. I love what the theologian F.F. Bruce says about this passage. He says, it was no more possible for the Lord's Supper to be eaten in an atmosphere of social discrimination than it was for the same people to partake of the table of the Lord and table of demons. He's like, this is an impossibility. If you come to the table, which is all about unity and laying down your preferences for the body of Christ, but you come in a selfish way, you have missed the very heart of what it means. And Paul looks at the church and he's like, this is a disgrace, church. You're all out for your own things and nobody wants to lay aside their preferences or what they want for the body of Christ. He says, You've missed the whole point of why we do this. In the next few minutes we have, I, I wanna talk about the beauty and the mystery of coming to the table and I wanna give you just a few things. I actually gave this to our staff on our staff retreat the first week of January and we gathered around the table as a staff and I said sometime this next year I wanna lead our church through this. And I wanna give you these seven things, the beauty and mystery of coming to the table. Number one is this, 
The table forms us into one body beyond our differences and divisions. That's why every Sunday I take a loaf of bread and I break it and it represents that we are one body, united, broken, and given to each other and to the world. It's symbolic of what God has called us to do. If you are in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of a radically different community that does not treat each other like the world treats each other. We don't draw hard lines on the non-essential matters and say, oh, do you vote just like me? Because if you don't vote like me, then you can't be here with me. We lay down our things and our non-essentials and our preferences for each other. And guess what? This is hard right here, but don't miss this part. If you can't lay down your non-essentials, you are not acting in love, and the only response you need to have is repentance because it's an idol. This is literally our way of saying our identity is first and foremost in Jesus. This is what defines our life. This is who we are. In a world that wants to exclude and draw hard lines and say, no, you're over here and you're over here and you don't fit and you're over there, we say the body of Christ and Jesus is enough for all of us. It's the great leveling field. It's the the great playing field where we are nothing without Jesus and everything because of him. Number two, the table is where the abstract, the spiritual and the conceptual become real and tangible in our lives. This is the beauty of the sacraments in the church. This is why we, we, we lay hands on people and pray for them. This is why we consume physical bread and wine. This is why we immerse people in water like we did last week in baptism. This is why we anoint people with oil. There's physical things. And in this moment, it's not just a creed. It's not just an oral word. It, it is something tangible. You, you feel the body of Christ, right? You, you, you smell it. You, you wait in line with each other to receive. It's something that's tangible and we need the tangible things in our life. You know what else communion is? And people don't like this word. It's a mystery. How many know you need some mystery in your life? There are people that just love certitudes. No, I need to know, I need to, be explain, I need to explain it. When you come to the table, there's an unexplainable phenomenon that happens through the work of the Spirit that we can't explain. How God is present through bread and juice, how God is present through his gathered people, how God shows up in ways that, guess what? I can't explain it to you, and I don't wanna have to explain it to you. I just know it's a reality, amen? There's a whole conversation out there um, in circles about communion. It's something called transubstantiation. Does the communion elements actually turn into the body and the blood of Jesus when when a priest or a, a pastor blesses them? Let me just tell you, we don't necessarily believe that here, I have no problem with people who do believe that. It doesn't change what it means to me, are you with me? Could God actually change this into the actual body and blood of Jesus? Sure, God can do whatever he wants to do. But you know what it does happen here? A mystery, a mysterious thing that unites us together as one. And I love that, I love the mystery of what God does as you and I gather at the table. Number three is this, the table is where we meet God to receive whatever nourishment is needed in our souls. This is where God meets us every week. We do the table liturgy. We're gonna do it in just a minute. We, don't, we come into the church with different things and different struggles and God meets us where we're at. How many know sometimes you're gonna to come to the table and you're gonna feel nothing? Sometimes you're gonna to come to the table and you're gonna feel God close. How many know both are okay? Sometimes it's the subtle work of God. You don't even realize as you're getting up out of your seat and you're taking the body and you're taking the bread, you don't even realize in that moment that God is work at work in you. You don't always feel the move of God, but that God is working in you and through you. 
Number four is this, the table gathers us into a family united in the work of Christ. That God is taking a bunch of people who are different, right? Different backgrounds, different people, and uniting them into a new family as we gather together in this room, as we step out of our seats, as you come forward and somebody's gonna be in line in front of you today and you're gonna wait for a while, and then someone's gonna hand you the, the bread and say, this is Christ's body broken for you. And then you're gonna move on and someone's gonna say, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And you're gonna dip your bread. And as you wait, how many know God is at work among us? In fact, communion, the Lord's Supper, is a continuation of the body of Christ, physically active and present among the people of God with us. We are doing more than just remembering what Jesus did. We are actively participating in the story of God as the people of God every week saying this is the event that defines our life, amen? The next one is this. The table is an invitation to know Christ and a grace that empowers us to service and mission. The table is an invitation to know Christ and a grace that empowers us to service and mission. That as we wait with one another, as we just do the mundane things every week that God is present. Let me read to you this quote real quick. I'm in, I'm in love with this quote. It says, family comes together, comes together regularly despite tedium, boredom, low energy, busyness, distractions, and interpersonal tensions because they recognize that family life is as much about sharing the mundane, the distracted, etc., as it is about sharing special and joyous moments. A community sustains itself, not primarily through novelty, stimulation, and high emotion, but through rhythm and routine, through simple, predictable ritual processes. A family that tries to eat every meal as if it were a banquet soon finds that most of its members are looking for an excuse to be absent. Nobody has energy for a banquet every day. What sustains a relationship over the long term is ritual, routine, a regular rhythm that incarnates the commitment. You know what the church has fallen in to the trap of doing? Every week we have to outperform what we did the week before. We've gotta entertain you more this week than we did last week. Next week we've gotta up it. Every Sunday is the Super Bowl, right? How many know every Sunday is not the Super Bowl? I don't want the Super Bowl every Sunday. How many know every night at our home is not a banquet? In fact, there are some nights I can't tolerate my children. I was just being honest with you. We gather around the table and when we gather around the table, every time we get, I got four kids, they're all pretty young. High and lows of the day. Everybody says they're high and low. My eight-year-old will take forever. And I'll just look at him like, Jude, your time's up. Next, you know? I have four kids. Number one and number three are peacemakers. Number two and number four are not peacemakers. Number two and four are always at war. Always. Sometimes I'm just, I've had it. I can't do it anymore. I will look at number two and number four. I'm not saying them by name. And I was like, you guys leave. You eat at another table. I can't take it tonight. Dad can't do it. How many know every night at the Nelson house is not a banquet? because neither is at your house. But family is built in the routine, in the mundane moments, isn't it? It's built as you share life together. Like this is why we have micro churches, because even family in this context, you can only go so far in this room or out in the lobby. You need to be with other people who aren't like you in the body of Christ to share life, to talk about differences. What are you struggling with? What's, what's on your mind? What, what's causing anxiety and fear as you pray for each other, as you help each other become more like Jesus? How many know that we need regular rhythms of being together as a family? The table is an invitation to know Christ and a grace that empowers us to service and to mission. 
The same night where Jesus breaks the bread and he pours the wine and he gives it to the disciples, he also ties a towel around his waist in John chapter 13 and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples and he said, I'm doing this for you for, to show you what to do to the world and for each other, amen? We're called to first and foremost to serve, to live out God's mission together. Number six, almost done. The table is a commitment we choose to practice regardless of circumstances or feelings. There are times that we come to the table when we are full of doubts and fears and uncertainties about faith and life. There are times where there's been people in our church that have gone through the worst of the worst. They've lost a child. Pastor, what, I'm, what am I supposed to do? How do I navigate this? And I can't ever imagine that. You know what I tell them? Keep coming to the table. Keep coming to the table. I don't know how or when or in what ways, but I'm gonna tell you, God wants to meet you there. Bring all your fear and resentment and bitterness and questions and just keep coming to the table. Just keep showing up and asking God to move. You're gonna go through times of joy. You're also gonna go through times of sorrow and despair. You're gonna, times where God seems so close and so near, where God's voice is like, you can hear it so clearly. And times you're like, God, where are you? It feels like a desert and I've been here for a year. You keep showing up. Times where you're gonna feel engaged with the body of Christ and feel like you're alone. There's a picture on the screen of, of just kind of a lifesaver. Someone throws one out to you. To me, the table is an anchor in my life. Even in times where I felt like I was adrift, where I was about to go stray, lost at sea, it's almost like I was tied to something and it just kept me just close enough, you know? I may feel distant at times, but it just kept me close enough. Keep coming back to the table. Keep coming back to Jesus. With everything that I'm walking through, with all the ups and downs and fears and unmet expectations, I'm gonna keep coming to the table. Last but not least, number seven. The table is a place where we wait with one another for all things to be redeemed. The table speaks to our past, it speaks to our present, and how many know it speaks to our future, amen? This is why during our table liturgy every week we say, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has what? Come again, Christ has come again. Because Christ has died, my past is not who I am. I'm redeemed, it's under the blood, through the work of Jesus. Christ is risen, how many know the grave is empty? You guys were here last week? The grave is still empty. And because it's empty, I have victory. It, it speaks to my present. But now we know Christ will come again. So we gathered in this room this morning, our eyes are pointed on the future hope. We look with expectation for all things to be redeemed, renewed and restored. If you would this morning across this room, stand to your feet with me as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. This is the mystery part. This is what I love every, every week we come to the table because regardless of whether the sermon hits you right where you needed today or if it was a word for you, guess what? Whatever you are walking through, God wants to meet you in this moment at the table. As we are about to step out of our seats, 
a bunch of people who are very different from each other to say Jesus is enough, everything. If you would, just right where you're at, just begin to prepare your heart to receive what God wants to give to us today. Say this with me. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. If we would continue to read in 1 Corinthians where we just left off in that passage, it would tell you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. This is us, broken, one body, given to each other and to the world. This also represents Christ's body, broken for us, that his brokenness made us whole, redeemed us. And so we rest in that today. We rest in that truth that his body was broken for you and I. And then Jesus took the cup, the shed blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, my blood's gonna cover you. It's gonna cover your life, your past, your future. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that has covered my sins, that has washed me. If you would, just right where you're at, close your eyes. I'm gonna ask for our prayer and communion team to come and begin to prepare the elements. I want you to just prepare your hearts for what God wants to do. Father, we thank you that a bunch of people in this room that are very different in a lot of ways can come into this space and just declare, God, we are nothing without Jesus. God, it is the cross of Jesus Christ that brings us together, that defines our life. We thank you for the work of Jesus. We thank you for redemption. And we thank you that you're at work. We thank you for people who walked into this room today that haven't been in foot in a church in a long, long time, God, but you have been chasing them down. You know their story, you know their lives, you love them unconditionally. God, I thank you for the person with just living in a mental darkness right now, mental health, God, that you want to liberate and restore, healing in the body. God, I thank you for people who are making a decision today to follow Jesus. God, I thank you that you are meeting them where they're at. God, people right now who are just tired in their spirit, their mind, their heart, their soul, they just need to be refreshed, Father. As they step out of their seats and as they wait with the body of Christ, would you just come and your spirit just fill them new and fresh? And we thank you for the mystery of the spirit at work among the gathered people of God through your body and through your blood. We thank you that your presence is here tangibly with us. Thank you, Father, 
for this space that is so radically different from the world, for your unfailing love for us, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a minute, you're going to step out of your section to the right, and you're going to come forward. They're going to give you a piece of bread. You can take that bread and dip it in the juice. Take right there or take back at your seat. This is a moment for you just to be with God, to connect with him, allow God to move in your life as we wait with one another. Please step out as, you, uh, as you're ready.